this is going to be different. I'm not interviewing someone today. I'm hoping to use this recording as a bit of a catharsis. Um, I'm aware, of course, that none of you gave me permission to do such a thing. But at the same time, I suppose nobody forced you to subscribe. So <laughs> buckle up. Yeah, if you don't want to hear me waffling on for the next couple of minutes, feel free to, to skip to something else. But I just went through a, a, a breakup. I went through a breakup after a 13-year relationship, and uh, it's got me thinking about a couple of things, and I wanted to share those with you. And if you're really interested now, calm down. It's not that big a deal. I'm talking about um, breaking up with Facebook, quitting Facebook. And if you're sighing and going, oh, my God, that's melodramatic, Mike, that's fair because <laughs> it is a little... But at the same time, it, it, was, it was a bigger deal for me than I wanted to admit. And I couldn't really understand why. And since the deal was done, I've been thinking a little bit about this kind of connection and interaction that I've had with social media for the last 13 years or so and what it's meant to me. And I think maybe parts of it could be elements that you perhaps identify with. There are certainly ways in which social media has been fundamentally life-changing for me. I was able to build an entire business around it. But at the same time, there are parts of social media that I'm becoming more and more aware. And I mean, obviously, this is well-documented and, and spoken about at length, but on a personal level, for somebody who, who feels like they're a relatively responsible user of the platform, there are, there are ways in which social media has become quite dysfunctional for me. So I wanted to share some of those, and uh, this is one of those shows where I'd really love to get your feedback and hear your, your views, because it is, a, it is a big deal in our lives. And I'm aware that there is a level of hypocrisy around the fact that I'll be publicizing this show using Twitter and LinkedIn, which are social networks, and I guess you could argue that podcasting is in and of itself social media. With that as a caveat, let me take you back in time quickly. Uh, 1998 high school I went to Benoni High School loved Benoni High School it was a really great place to to go to high school a remarkably good school actually we didn't play rugby at school but we had an excellent football team and one of the chaps that uh, if, if there was such a thing as an all-American boy in Benoni this guy was the all-American boy his name is Michael Cornish now based in Miami in fact I think he might have moved to Colorado in the United States amazing guy really talented footballer and he won a scholarship to Harvard University, actually. Went to Harvard, did very well there, and happened to be there at the same time as a gentleman by the name of Mark Zuckerberg, who released a platform called Facebook. And Michael saw what was happening with Facebook and thought, well, it would be really exciting to replicate that elsewhere. Of course, Facebook was not the first social network. There were other social networks that were already pretty popular and pretty pervasive. People had developed open source software that allowed you to build your own um, social network. And Michael used some of that open source software to develop a site called MyCircle, uh, mycircle.co.za, with the intention of specifically targeting the South African market. And he was kind enough to reach out to me and say, you know, would I be interested in being involved in the project? This was before Facebook really had landed on South African shores at all. And of course, I was, I was really interested in what was, I guess, the golden era of social media at that stage. It was a bit of a land grab. It was really exciting, and it felt like a really progressive and game-changing new app was being created almost every day. 
And so, yeah, I was very excited to be a part of that. My circle actually grew very quickly. It had four or 5,000 subscribers within a couple of weeks. I remember going to visit actually with the core group to get some sponsorship. Those, remember those old colorful Apple iPods, those little slim, slimline ones, to get some sponsorship to encourage people to sign on and so on. But it wasn't long after the initial success of my circle that we saw Facebook kind of bleeding into the local market. And once it had landed, it just sort of took over. And there are very good reasons for that. I mean, you know, nobody ever provided us with a user's manual for Facebook. There weren't, you know, there weren't ads or billboards that went up anywhere. It, it just, the moment you open up the site, you knew what you had to do. And you kind of intrinsically or innately, organically even understood the value of it to you. What Facebook did, I think, so well is it tapped into our our very deepest needs for connection, our most primal needs for validation. Certainly in the early part of Facebook, that was really the, the fuel that drove this kind of remarkable combustion, this bonfire of interest. And yeah, before long, it was... It was a talking point for everyone and, and very much a part of our, our social lives. Yeah, I was lucky enough to start a business at the same time that helped companies, you know, go to this place that was designed for individuals and figure out a way to be there and make some sense of it and hopefully not embarrass themselves too terribly. And I, I must be honest with you, I just, I loved it. I remember 2005 or 2006, it was a, it was a pretty pretty tough time in my life. I remember that that year, uh, it's not an easy memory, but I remember my wife and I at the time, my first wife, we, we didn't have much at all. And I'd quit, I think this was 2006 actually, I'd quit, I'd quit my job to start Cerebra. I racked up a lot of, a lot of debt pretty quickly because it just wasn't happening and I didn't really even know how to sell what we were doing. I'd taken out secretively two personal loans in the hope um, that I could kind of turn it around and eventually had to go cap in hand to ask for help to alleviate that debt. And I was lucky enough that people were willing to help. But I remember that, that Christmas, I think the Christmas of 2006, you know, all I could afford to get my ex-wife was a, a DVD, <laughs> which was a, I put together a video of our, our little boy, Ethan. That video was like my gift to her, which is, it was really tough at the time. And, and I wanted to do so much more and I knew I could and, and yet like circumstances just didn't allow for it. And yeah, those, those moments are sort of hard to forget. So social media provided me, I guess, with a conduit to creating value in a way that I'd never dreamed possible before. And, um, you know, 2006, that same year that I could only afford a DVD for Christmas, I also remember I only got four phone calls on my birthday. I was not very important to very many people. And then the next year, thanks to Facebook, all of a sudden I was getting hundreds of messages, you know, all very genuine and sincere, of course, but still there was this um, kind of like, pseudo celebrity you you know it, it, you kind of mattered and even if you didn't really but that was the that was the magic that was the dna of this thing and obviously to cut a very long story short the you know the platforms have changed a lot and i i'm i'm not one of those people i think that is prepared to make conclusions about what types of people the directors and the board members of facebook are i i don't I don't think they're malicious people trying to do malicious things and take over the world and whatnot. I think they are ordinary people that have stumbled across an extraordinary resource, almost like a parallel universe that they've created and 
how is anyone prepared to know what to do with that or how to make decisions about what to do with that sort of power and influence? I, I imagine I would have made much poorer decisions in the same position. There's two things I think we need to acknowledge there. First of all, that none of us were forced to be on, on Facebook. None of us were obligated. None of us were. Um, it wasn't a gateway to using another service. I wasn't forced to sign up to Facebook uh, in order to open up a bank account, nothing like that. I, I opted in. I opted in and I did it for free and I was never ever coerced into that. So, you know, this going around and pointing fingers at Facebook and saying it's done this and it's done that. It's not It's not Facebook, it's us. We We have willingly and deliberately contributed towards this platform's growth and prosperity. And sure, I think there've been some things that have developed kind of without our full knowledge, but I, you know, we all saw Facebook evolving and changing. And that was, you know, I mean, like that was something that we all had to think about and decide whether we were going to continue to participate in and, and use and build businesses on top of. The second thing is that I also understand Facebook is a business. It's not a nation state. It's not a non-for-profit. It's, um, it's a business and it, a business needs to make money. And I think often when we are presented with opportunities to make money, especially money uh, in the league that we're talking about here, we make heuristic shortcuts. We make kind of logical and rational steps that maybe we wouldn't normally do under other circumstances. And so, so I've, you know, I've, I'm trying my very best to understand how you get to a place where a platform that has the potential and the influence really does have the potential and the influence to change the world on, on a dime, how it, how it gets so self-involved and self-interested and, and, and narrow-minded in its thinking. And that's certainly my position on it now. But what was interesting to me was not just coming to that conclusion, but just watching my sort of behavior on the platform over the last couple of years and watching people that I respect and love uh, deciding that it wasn't a place of value anymore and, and having conversations around coffee as we often do, making all sorts of assertions about how we would change our behavior and I'm, yeah, I don't use Facebook anymore and whatever, and then I go home and, and check Facebook. And being aware of just how kind of methodical and rhythmic my behavior on Facebook was and how often I'd find myself on the platform refreshing it and not really understanding even how I got there or why I was looking at it. But it wasn't until I sort of took a step to delete Facebook that I had to actually think about that. And so when you when you delete Facebook, they've got a very impressive and uh, convoluted way of encouraging you to download your data which they make you believe is important. <laughs> all the places you've checked into, all the updates that you've shared. I, I, you know, I sort of sat there and went, oh yeah, I'm sure there's some important stuff in there. I mean, I haven't had this ridiculous fantasy about how if I ever shuffled off this mortal coil <laughs> that yeah, people would, hopefully my children or somebody who has some level of investment in me would um, would want to go back and search through the archive. I'm like, like, it's actually ridiculous just even saying it to you, but search through the archives of Facebook updates and uh, find some, some wisdom <laughs> from the years. And it's just, it's profoundly narcissistic. It's, it's surprising even to me that we can be so incredibly interested in our own contributions 
however meaningless they are. And, and you know what? They are meaningless. Because once I went through the process of thinking, yeah, sure, I'll download the information, which I think was probably like a 48 gigabyte file, which is, you know, terrifying thought as to how much information Facebook actually has about me. And it just never, ever downloaded. Uh, and then I thought, okay, well, I won't download all of that. I'll just download the photos and the videos because that, you know, that's, that's the good stuff, you know, because obviously we all go back and check all the photos and videos that we've taken. It's my favorite is, is watching us watch our children through, through camera screens. And then I don't know why we do it. I think we do it under the assumption that we'll go back and look at those sometime. And, and we never do that either. But anyways, it's an interesting behavior. And I think something that's also been spoken about by people far smarter than me. Yeah, I'm sitting there in front of the, the laptop screen and waiting for the photos to download and they don't download either. And eventually I was just like, well, I mean, what are you really holding on to here? It's like, it's like a breakup. It's like a breakup where you've, you've gotten to the end of this relationship where you've kind of stuck it out because you just have momentum. You know, you just have like kind of the weight of time behind it. Dane Cook used to do the skit about, uh, you know, quite a funny skit about a couple that just hates each other. They've got to that point in their relationship where they just hate each other, but they're still together. You know, he talks about them being at the movies and standing in the line and basically looking like they have rigor mortis because they you know, don't want to touch each other. And then he, he talks about how the lady's friends will say to her, you should just break up with him. And she's like, no, I've got like all my CDs in his car. And <laughs> yeah, the ridiculous reasons we, we give ourselves to stay in relationships that are actually quite destructive. And certainly for me, the last remaining piece of utility that Facebook had was reminding me of people's birthdays, which a cursory search online provided me with a solution to just extract those. And I was able to do that. So that solved that. But also just kind of this connection to, you know, the daily reminder of my past. And, and that, you know, that can sometimes be fun and it's cool to look back on images of our kids i mean not like there aren't seven thousand other apps doing that every day anyways but i think i think there was a part of me and this is the part where i have to be kind of frank with you is that was sort of lamenting what i always hoped social networks could be this year has been a difficult year for everybody but i've noticed in myself just a like a growing cynicism around the intentions of people. And I am admittedly naive and idealistic at the best of times. And this has not been the best of times. I'd always hoped and I'd always believed that social networks would have a really, really positive impact on the world. And I really hoped that I could be at the forefront of that. And I really hoped that it would be something that we would see level fundamental change in businesses and in democracies and in communities. And to, to a degree, we've seen some of that. It's just, I think, become increasingly less so over the years as, you know, we've noticed some bad incentives driving pretty unscrupulous behavior. And my friend Bronwyn Williams, who I interviewed recently on the show, uh, constantly challenges me on this because I blame social media in many ways for misinformation and in inverted commas, fake news, but as she rightly points out, that's that's something that's been around for a very long time. It's not again, it's not social media's fault. It's our fault. These are these are things that are born out of bad incentives again, and and you know, kind of um, some of our fundamental and most primal destructive traits.
sure, it's amplified on social media, it's magnified on the platform, but it's it's not caused by it. But I, d I just hope that we would find another dimension to our humanity on these platforms that it just it just seems like we haven't really been able to do. And so I don't really know even why I wanted to share this with you other than a selfish catharsis. It's not because I think me being on or off Facebook has any, in fact, absolutely nobody has noticed or cares because as I have to constantly remind myself, that's not what matters. None of that matters. What matters is the real connections and conversations and creations that we invest in on a daily basis, making better pancakes for my kids, the art we create, the barbecues and dinners that we have together. Those are the things I think that, that really, really have substance. We believe that what we do on social media has substance and meaning. And I may be more convinced than ever that it, that it just doesn't. So am I still on Instagram and WhatsApp? Absolutely. Am I aware of the fundamental hypocrisy in that? Absolutely. Baby steps. This is not to suggest that I think all social media is evil or, or that we need to not to be on it, whatever that means. But I think just kind of a level of consciousness that is is needed if we are going to begin to use these platforms or their successes or the the spaces that they create in a more conscious and deliberate way. But yeah, if you're like me and you're sort of on the journey of, of thinking more intentionally or deliberately about how you use those platforms, then I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have those discussions with you, ideally face-to-face -face over a cup of coffee or maybe a, a Zoom call if geography prevents us from doing so or the odd pandemic for that matter. But if you got this far, thank you for listening. Thank you again for participating in this show and this, this project and being willing to hear me ramble through explorations in conversations with fascinating, interesting and, and really smart people. I dearly and sincerely appreciate your your attention. I know it matters. Send me a comment, send me a thought, and if you think there are people in your life who might benefit from this, then of course, please send it on to them. Enjoy November. Bye.